We got theme music. <laughs> well, it's good to see all of you here this morning, and I'm glad that you all survived the ice as you uh, made it in this morning. Praise the Lord. I haven't heard any reports of anybody slipping, so we're going to keep rejoicing in that and continue in this day. Let us begin this morning asking the Lord to meet with us and praying together. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your goodness. We rejoice even in the ice. We give thanks to you as we see it to know that you are good, to know that you are the creator, and to know that nothing passes by you without your notice and without your sovereign hand. And so we pray today that as we seek you, we might see your sovereign providence in our own lives and that we would take that one step at a time, walking in your spirit and abiding in your word as you abide in us. Fill us and use us and glorify yourself through us. Help us to learn and to apply wisdom from what we learn in today in the book of Esther. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we've been learning about King Ahasuerus. And this morning, we're going to meet a very interesting family. Now, I've told you before, you have to forget what you know. So you all already know we're in the book of Esther. So who do you think the book is all about? Esther, that's right. And I have a volunteer who wants to play Esther. Jesse, you want to come on up here? But you know what? Nobody has volunteered to be Mordecai yet. Do you think you could help me find your cousin? Who, who might be your cousin? How can, I, can, you, can you help me find your cousin? I don't have any cousins here. Oh, I know you don't. So we have to imagine here. Who's, who's a cousin that, you might, that might be like an uncle? See, that's the key part, too, is he's kind of like an uncle. Because remember, at some point in your life, maybe your age or maybe younger, your parents died, and so somebody else had to be there. Oh, she just picked. Dad can be my uncle, too. Okay. Dad is the uncle, too, today. Okay, so here now, we have Hadassah. And you're all thinking, wait a minute, I thought you just said she was Esther. Oh, you're right, I did. But she has a Hebrew name, and her Hebrew name is Hadassah. And do you know what your name means? It's a kind of tree or plant? Yes, that's right. Anybody else know, remember what kind of tree it's, she's named after? Yes, Ben. The myrtle tree, yes, that's right. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? But don't worry, it's a pretty, it flowers pretty, so maybe that's why your parents named you that. And here's, here's your cousin, Mordecai. Mordecai, and, uh, but he's kind of like a dad to you because um, at some point, Hadassah's parents had died, and so she began to be cared for by her older cousin, Mordecai. So we're going to call him Uncle Mordecai, even though he's not really your uncle, he's your cousin. Somebody told me once, I can't figure this out. How can a cousin be an uncle? Well, I just was talking to um, my sister-in-law who just had a baby and thinking about the fact that the oldest cousin is 18 years old, and they're wondering whether or not their baby should refer to the oldest cousin as uncle or not. Something to think about. I don't know. They'll have to figure that out. But anyway, we have Hadassah and her caregiver, kind of like her dad, kind of like an uncle, Mordecai. 
now. Your family, and maybe even you, depending on how the chronology works out, were carried away captive from Judea a long time ago. In 597 BC, at least Mordecai's family, if not he himself, was carried away captive. Now, what's one unique thing about God and the book of Esther we have learned? What's one unique thing about God in the book of Esther? What's that? God is never mentioned. You're right. But now I've got a question for you. Today, God hasn't spoken to anyone that I know of in a burning bush or sent any angels to you. So how do we learn things from God? Oh, I see some people answering the question without saying a word. How do we? We read the Bible. Well, you know what? Even though God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, did you know that they had kind of sort of a Bible? Now, it wasn't quite the same as we have because this is even before Jesus came. So there is no New Testament. So last week, you remember, we learned some things comparing Ahasuerus to um, some truths we learn in the New Testament. Well, Ahasuerus wasn't privileged like us. He didn't have those same truths. So we ought to be even more grateful for the completed revelation that God has given to us. But you do know that in that time, people did have copies of God's Word. Now, they didn't have printing presses, so it wasn't quite as prolific as it is nowadays. You know, I, somebody came to me this morning and said, my little girl's disrupt because her New Testament disappeared, and the rumor is that you took it. Guilty as charged. I moved it to the lost and found box. Well, you know what? I doubt it if in your day they would have given a little child a pocket New Testament. Well, they didn't even have a New Testament, but I don't think they would have even given you a pocket book of law because that was, it had to be made by hand. It would have been really hard to do it. It would have been really valuable. But sometimes, in spite of that, we think that people didn't have copies or access to the Word of God. And that's not true. They did. In many parts of the world, they had access to God's Word. Synagogues had sprung up around the world where the law was read daily and definitely on the Sabbath days. And so there was a lot of focus on the Word of God. And so now I wonder, did you spend much time bringing her to the synagogue there in Sushan? Yes. How do we know that? Well, he's saying it, but you know there's no record of it. <gasps> now I got another question. How do you think these two can seek to know God's will for their life? How do you seek to know God's will for your life? How? How? By praying. By praying? That's true. By talking to God. But what's the other side of talking to God? You can ask God what his will is, but then how does he tell you? Does, 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 do you go outside and they find a burning bush and the voice of God talking to you? No. Oh, no. None of you had that experience. So how does God talk to you back? Through his word. And that helps you to discover God's will. Yes. You know, I know another man who maybe you guys have heard of. I know you've heard of him. His name was Daniel. Did you know that Daniel loved his Bible? And Daniel was even careful to get all the latest writings of the prophets. And Daniel lived at the same time as Jeremiah. And when Jeremiah's book had been completed, 
Daniel made sure he got a copy of it. And he was reading in the book of Jeremiah, and he had learned that there was a promise by God through Jeremiah that the captivity would last 70 years. And when he saw that that time was about done, you know what he started doing? He started praying. He actually started praying that God would keep his promises he made through Jeremiah. He was fascinated with it. Well, do you know what happened within a very short time? Well, we get all distracted because there's amazing visions where God gives him of things that are yet to come in the future, which is really exciting. But you know what actually happened in his life? A new king came to power, and he decreed, just as God had promised over 150 years before through the prophet Isaiah, he decreed that all of the Jews could go back to Jerusalem and that they could build the temple. Not just that they could. In fact, he ordered all who would like to, go, go back to your land. So I'm curious, why didn't you go? Why didn't Mordecai go? Why didn't he take Esther and, and go back to the promised land? You know, over the years, I've read many times commentators and I've heard preachers say that Mordecai was disobedient in not going back to the promised land. And I struggled with that. I said, why would they say that? Was Nehemiah disobedient for not going back to the land? We don't ever talk about Nehemiah as being disobedient for not going back to the land. Why would we say that? And Nehemiah lives after these people. Why, why would we say that of Mordecai? So you know what I did? I imagined that I was Mordecai. And I opened my Bible and I read what Mordecai would have had access to. And I read the book of Jeremiah. And you know, I found some things interesting. And I'd like to show them to you. Can you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah? Here, you two, come over here and gather around this here. I'd like to show you some verses. The last few chapters of Jeremiah, remember, Jeremiah was this prophet who lived during the time before, during, and after the Babylonian conquests and captivity of Judah. And in the midst of all of that, when some of the people have been carried away captive, he wrote a prophecy about Babylon. Now, Babylon was great and powerful. Yeah, you don't think much of it because Babylon at your time is gone. You maybe never even thought of or heard of the great, well, you've heard of them, but you, you never saw it, likely. We don't know. Well, Jeremiah made some prophecies about Babylon. Some prophecies that Babylon would be destroyed. And this was big news to the people in Judah because they couldn't see any way how the greatest golden empire ever to exist from their perspective could fall. And yet here Jeremiah is telling them that God is going to judge Babylon. In fact, this whole letter is written and a copy of it is even brought to Babylon to Babylon, and it's read publicly in Babylon to all of the Babylonians and to all of the Jews. And then it was a copy was bound up and thrown into the Euphrates River right there flowing through Babylon as a sign that this would absolutely come to pass. Babylon's going to be destroyed. Now all of you are sitting out there going, I knew that. I'm glad you knew that. You knew that the image of Nebuchadnezzar had the image of gold, Babylon, and the Medes and Persians the arms and breasts of silver, Medo Persia, would be kingdom. Well, that's, that's the kingdom you guys are living in. 
But what about those prophecies about Babylon being destroyed? Does that sound like good news to you? You're not so sure. Well, let me tell you, if you were a Jew living in Babylon and you heard these prophecies, you might have been excited. But you know, as we read about some of the history, we get the distinct impression that the Jews weren't really excited. They didn't believe it. Many of them didn't believe it, with very great exceptions, like Daniel. But when we read about this prophecy of Babylon being destroyed, we're, we actually find some special instructions given to you. Some special instructions. Now, we live in a time, and I think we are just kind of guilty, like maybe, I'm going to say maybe, because we don't know. The Scripture doesn't really give a commentary criticizing Mordecai or Esther. It just tells us what happened. And so we've got to be careful to be too hard on them because we don't know all the details, and God has chosen not to reveal all the details for us. But, you know, sometimes we neglect certain parts of Scripture because, well, we think they're not relevant to us, or we think they're boring, or we think they're hard, or we think they're just for somebody else. Did you know that all of Jeremiah chapter 51 and 52 is about the destruction of Babylon? And some of you might be thinking, that doesn't have anything to do with me. So what bother would that make for me? Maybe you guys thought the same thing. Maybe many Jews thought that. What's it got to do with me? Well, in the midst of all of these prophecies, we find some instructions given to the Jews. Look here. Can you read some of these for me here? Here we have one. In, in, well, if, let's, let's start back here a little bit further back and start in chapter 50. And in chapter 50, we read this introduction. The word that the Lord spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, don't think this just is for the Babylonians of ancient times and those Chaldeans, that, that tribal people of greatness. We can learn from this. Declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. It's no secret. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel. Ooh, that's a Babylonian god. Remember Belshazzar? Bel is confounded. Murdoch. Meshach. Murdoch, another idol, is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh a nation against her. And it goes on and begins to prophesy of destruction of Babylon. Now look here. Well, let's keep reading verse 3. From the north there shall come up a nation against her which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. The great Babylon is destroyed. Now look at verse 4. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Lord their God 
This is what God wants his people to do, is to seek him again. Look what it says in verse 5. They shall ask the way to Zion. I wonder if Mordecai and Hadassah read this, or heard this read, or heard this proclaimed. Somewhere there, maybe in Babylon before, now in Shushan. And I wonder, did Mordecai ask the way to Zion? We don't know. But you know, here is an illustration of how in reading the scripture, there is a guidance for Mordecai. When you read the scriptures, do you look for instructions and examples to follow? All through the scriptures, you'll find them. Do you find them and then do you obey them? Here, Mordecai, Hadassah, do you ask the way to Zion? With your face thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. You see, part of this of seeking the Lord was to go back to Jerusalem. And as we keep reading, we find some things very interesting. Let's just survey it for a little while. Look down at verse 8. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. Ooh, I read that and I may not actually want to be that. Um, I don't think I want to go out into the wilderness. But here, go forth out of the land of the Chaldees. Remove out of the midst of Babylon. You know what? I think you guys did that. Because you probably were in Babylon. And now where are you? Shushan. Shushan. That's right. So they did obey. Or did they? If we keep on reading. We continue on down through this page. And we turn the page. And there's many things I'm having a hard time skipping. But I'm just trying to make one point about the significance of Jerusalem for you. And if you scroll all the way down through, you look at verse 28 of chapter 50. And it says, The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God and the vengeance of his temple. So here they flee out of Babylon, the land of Babylon, and they're supposed to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord and of his temple. We don't have time to read all of the history here, but you remember the temple was destroyed, and one of the decrees that Cyrus made was rebuild the temple. And here was a way they could go back, and it was we are in vengeance. Now, vengeance we think of as a, in a different way, but here is a good kind of vengeance in the sense that they are rebuilding something that was torn down. And they're rebuilding it. And he's saying, here is, here is what they ought to do. Leave and go and declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord. And again, we're going to skip a lot of different things and keep on going down to chapter 51. Down to chapter 51. And if we look in here, it says in verse 5, For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. You see, Israel had sinned. They had disobeyed God. Their land was filled with iniquity. That's why they were carried away captive by the Babylonians. 
But God says, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you. So verse 6, a command. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is a time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. And so here now, Babylon is going to be destroyed, and the warning is given to his people. Flee, flee out of this place. We keep going down through, skipping all kinds of interesting things, and we come down to verse 44 of chapter 51. And he says here, I will punish Baal, that's the false idol, in Babylon. And I will bring forth out of his mouth that which he hath swallowed up, and the nations shall not flow together any more unto him. Yea, the wall of Babylon shall fall. Destruction is decreed upon Babylon. Now, as soon as the destruction is decreed upon Babylon, look, verse 45. My people, my people, who are my people? Who? Israel. Are you his people? Yes. Mordecai, Hadassah, are they his people? My people, go ye out of the midst of her and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. Again, a command to leave Jerusalem, to leave Babylon. And you might say again, but that sounds scary. What do you think? Now, some of you are thinking, this is no big deal. Why don't they just go back to Jerusalem? Well, have you heard the news reports from Jerusalem at this time? It ain't good. Jerusalem is in ruins. There's no fortress there. There's no temple there. It's not good. It's, it's overrun with wild beasts, mostly poor people. There are bandits and there are robbers. It is not a safe place to go. Maybe that's what you're thinking. I don't know. Look what it says in verse 46. Jeremiah anticipated all the bad news. And lest your heart faint, and ye fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land, a rumor shall come both one year and after that another year, and shall come a rumor and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. And that's exactly what it was. Rumor and rumor. Wait, how did Jeremiah know that? Like this was written like 70 years before. How would he know that? Well, because God had inspired him to know it. God had given him these words. And they were words just for people like Mordecai, Hadassah, Daniel, Ezra, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and other people. They were here. Don't let your heart faint. Just so you know, there are going to be nasty rumors. Now think about in our own life. There are certain things that one step at a time, you know sometimes why we don't take that one step at a time in the Spirit of God is because of nasty rumors. I don't know what the rumors are in your life. I don't know what God is leading each of you individually to do. But God has a plan for each one of us, and there are specific things God has commanded us to do. You may not go to the dark continent of Asia or India or Africa or South America or North America as a missionary. But will you go and declare the gospel where God has put you and where God has called you? Will you? Or may you be afraid 
Or maybe you're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What might it be? There's rumors. There might be troubles. Your heart might faint. Will you obey? Will Mordecai, will Hadassah obey? It's interesting if we keep reading through the latter part of this message. Look at verse 50. Here another thing is spoken to those people. This is written years before Babylon is actually destroyed. Ye that have escaped the sword, go away, stand not still, remember the Lord afar off, and let Jerusalem come into your mind. Do you know what I think is the big thing unique about Nehemiah? Remember I told you earlier, he's still in Shushan? And in fact, even after Mordecai and Esther fade from history, Nehemiah is still in Shushan. But you know what's interesting we find about Nehemiah right as soon as we meet him? Jerusalem is in his mind. And he is burdened about Jerusalem. And he wants to go to Jerusalem. And in fact, God uses him to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And so, Again, I'm not going to be too hard on Mardukei and Hadassah that they didn't go back to Jerusalem. Perhaps, maybe, and I hope so, their mind was set to go to Jerusalem. Some have imagined, imagined historical fiction around Mordecai and have imagined that, that Hadassah was just obsessed with going back to Jerusalem. And I kind of want to imagine and think that way too, that she was just really passionate about going to Jerusalem, and, and Mordecai was too. Or Mordecai wasn't. All kinds of people make different stories up around us. We don't know what the situation was. All we do know is that, if, is that they should have had Jerusalem on their minds and that they should have been desiring to go back to Jerusalem. And maybe they were making plans to go to Jerusalem and it all got derailed. We don't know, but it was certainly time to go back to Jerusalem. But again, they might be afraid. You know, Jeremiah is not the only one who talked about this. See, Jeremiah lived just 70 years ago. Let's go further back in history. One more historical prophecy I'd like to show you is in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48, it's another command given. Isaiah is the one God used to prophesy that a king whose name would be Cyrus. That's pretty interesting. Cyrus was prophesied 150 years before he was born that he would make a decree for the people to return to the land and rebuild the temple. And in those prophecies, God also gave a command to the people. Isaiah 48:20, Go ye forth of Babylon. That means go out of Babylon. Flee ye from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare ye, tell this, utter it even unto the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. And so here again the people were commanded, even in another prophecy by another prophet over 150 years before. And you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit knew that the people would be afraid. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to also write the next verse. 
And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Now, you might be scratching your head saying, this, this is hard to understand. Does that make any sense? What does this have to do with the command to go out of Babylon, to flee from the Chaldees? Do you have any idea? Oh, God's going to be with us. I think that's a good observation. She jumped right to the application and skipped right over the meaning. Do you see that? You're right. God will be with you. But how did he explain that? Do you know how he explained that God would be with them? How did, what, did, what did he do? How did he do that? You're, you're, a, you're a good Hebrew, right? Hadassah is a Hebrew name, right? So you're a good Hebrew. And maybe, did you teach her the the history of Moses? Oh, good, good. So, do you know what's going on here? What's it say that they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts? He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. About Moses and the Israelites when they're going in the wilderness? You're exactly right. Now, why, why, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Isaiah to include this little teeny verse of history right when he tells his people, go flee from Babylon. Why would he do that? It doesn't make any, or does it make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. In fact, this is the whole reason why we have all the Old Testament history and all of these accounts of God's working is because sometimes when we're in these midst and we don't see a burning bush, and we don't hear the voice of God in the burning bush. And we don't see the Red Sea parting in front of us and all of our enemies drowning in it. And, and we don't see the rod that hits the rock and water just gushes out. I mean, how many of you have seen water gush out of a rock? I don't think Mordecai and Esther did either. They're kind of like us. And the Holy Spirit knew that. And that's why the Holy Spirit, when he gives this command in that day, flee from the Chaldeans, go forth out of Babylon, but you're going to say, I'm comfy here. I'm comfortable in Babylon. I've got a good job here. I don't want to go to that thieving, nasty place. In fact, I've got to go through a whole traveling, even through kind of sort of a desert even maybe, to get to Jerusalem. I might die of thirst on the journey. I might get robbed by robbers. Well, do you know why the Holy Spirit had Isaiah record this bit of history right after this command? To encourage the people. She got it, I told you. She jumped to the application. What did she say? What did you say? That God is with us. That God is with us. You may not see the rock cleave and burst forth with water. You may not see the Red Sea part. You may not see the burning bush or hear the voice of God. But you know that the same God who did that can do that, and he's right there with you. And so if he says, go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, ask, what's the way to Jerusalem? And they tell you it's a way filled with thieves and robbers and thirst and just no fun. What can encourage you to obey? To remember who your God is.
to remember who he is, to remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't always do miracles. In fact, we get so excited about miracles, don't we? But if you actually were to take a timeline of history and put a dot for every time where there is a record of a of a direct intervention of God. I'm not speaking of providence. Providence happens, I think, every single day. But an actual where God breaks the laws of his laws of nature and does something miraculous. And if you were to take a big spectrum, big timeline, there would be just these little dots. And then you'd see some, some really intense times of it, like during the days of Moses and during the days of Jesus when he was on the earth. But for the mass majority of history, there weren't any grandiose miracles. We find them in the Bible, and the reason why we find them in the Bible is because they're really spectacular. That's how they made it. So do we obey, and when we're afraid of thirst, or thieves, or danger, or trouble, remember our God? So Mordecai, Hadassah, are you asking the way to Jerusalem? Is Jerusalem in their mind? We don't know. What we do know is that it should have been if it wasn't. It should have been, and it may have been. We don't know. So what is in our minds? What are we looking to God, saying, God, what is your purpose in my life? What do you want me to be doing today? And then do we obey? Do we obey? Regardless of what we might be afraid of. There's a lot of history. Application. Now we turn back to the book of Esther, and we look at some things. You guys go on back to your home for a little while. Go on back to your home. They live in Shushan the palace. Mordecai, he's got a great job. He's got a great job there in the gate of the king. He's doing good. He's got a good job. But let's talk about Ahasuerus. Hey, where's Ahasuerus? Ah, here he comes. King Ahasuerus. Now, you remember this guy. He's powerful. He's great. He's a drunkard, and he's a bum. Go ahead, get yourself dressed up in your throne. The last time we saw Ahasuerus, his majesty, he was having a drunken feast. He had been having a party for over six months. Boy, that's some kind of a party. Six months of partying, and at the end of this party, it climaxed with an extra special party of seven days, and at the climax of that seven days, he decreed that his wife Vashti, who was fair to look upon, be brought in that he could show them to all of his drunken buddies. She refused. And so his advisors advised him to get rid of her, to banish her from being queen, to remove from her her royal estate, get rid of this Vashti. And they were more so concerned because they were concerned that other women would hear about what she did and then they'd start disobeying all their unreasonable husbands too. They didn't like that. So they had him issue a decree, and a decree was issued, and it was spread across the entire empire in every language, and it went forth. Extra-biblical historical sources talk about the Persian mail system, and it's, and it's actually in the study and research of it considered to be like the American Pony Express, 
which is still fascinatingly studied as being more efficient than our modern-day USPS. <laughs> Persian was like that. It was amazing as messages would spread across the kingdom, across the empire. Well, if this indeed is the historical Xerxes I, and again, we're not sure of that, but let's imagine that he is. We learn from other extra-biblical sources, that means sources outside of the Bible, that after he had this drunken feast, and this feast, by the way, was actually a military recruiting campaign, he went to fight against Greece. Xerxes I went to fight against Greece. Now, some of you may remember Nebuchadnezzar's image. The head was of gold, Babylon. The arms and the chest were silver. Media Persia. And then, what was the belly? Bronze. The Greek Empire. The Greek Empire is growing in strength, growing in power. And Ahasuerus doesn't like it. The historical Xerxes I didn't like it. And in his fourth year, he went and he fought against Greece. And you know what happened? You lost. Bad. You actually sat on the seashore watching your navy go out against Greece, and you watched every one of your ships sink. He was crushed, especially after he had a six-month feast advertising to his entire empire how great he was and how assured he was of victory over Greece. And he was crushed. And he came back to Sushan, the palace. And all of these events, again, if Ahasuerus is Xerxes I, occurred between the end of chapter 1 in Esther and the beginning of chapter 2 in Esther. Here he was, the great, the mighty, the powerful Ahasuerus, Xerxes I. He goes and fights against Greece, and he comes back defeated. Now, the media Persian Empire is still great and mighty and powerful, and it's a long time before Greece actually becomes the great empire that it was under Alexander the Great, partly because Alexander the Great's not here yet, and the prophecies is that he's that horn on the ram, and that one great, that great first king isn't on the scene yet. So Greece is not yet going to conquer them. But in this little skirmish with them, as that small country, kingdom, they lost. Media Persia lost. This is kind of, sort of, really, you could say the beginning of the end. And he comes back, and we look at chapter 2 of Esther. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti. The idea here is that he remembered her fondly. He missed her. He remembered what he had done, what she had done, and what was decreed against her. You see, this was a decree. And how many of you know anything about Persian law? Anything you know about Persian law? Yeah, what do you know about Persian law? It can't be altered or changed. When a decree is issued, it can't be altered or changed. The decree against Vashti is that she be removed from her royal estate so it doesn't matter that you miss her. She can't come back as your high queen. She can't come back. He remembered what had been decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, 
Oh, pause. Hey, Ahasuerus, do you remember the last time they advised you? Was it such a good idea? I'll ask all of you. Was it such a good idea the last time his advisors advised him, yes or no? No. No. I think he actually knows that. He's sitting here, and he remembers Vashti. He remembers what she had done, and she remember, he remembers what had been decreed against her. He misses her. And so everybody notices, oh, poor, poor Ahasuerus, he's sad. And so then the king's servants that ministered unto him, they have a brainy idea again. Anybody want to be this guy? Probably not. I tried to get the guy last week that did it. You can come up and join me. He says servants, plural. I'll do the speaking parts because we got this idea for the king. Do you think the king should listen to us? Do you think we have good ideas? No? <laughs> do you never have any good ideas? Uh, sometimes I do. Yeah, sometimes we do. Shh. We've got an idea for the king. Let's go tell him. Oh, great, Ahasuerus. We have an idea. Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hege, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Ashti. Oh, it says that the idea pleased the king. I better take this off because I'm going to go out of costume. Are you crazy? You'd think he'd learn. How many times I wonder God says to me, Are you crazy? Because he wants the best for me. And he's given me things to follow that are the best for me. Do I listen to him? Or do I listen to what? Do you see this? Verse 4, the last sentence. And the thing pleased the king. And he did so. Do we do what pleases me or what pleases God? Many voices will give us many ideas, many consuls. In all of them, will we listen to God? Will we listen to God? Will we please Him? Well, imagine now you are a fair young virgin. I don't, it doesn't say that this decree was given publicly, but that there are officers appointed in all the provinces to gather them all up. 
There's a lot of debate as to whether or not this was a volunteer thing or a compulsory thing. It doesn't say, but it's implied, in my opinion, that it was compulsory. Do you know what that means? No. No. It means you didn't have a choice. It wasn't like you said, me, me, pick me. You know, around here, we're not compulsory with hand raising. And if you don't want us to be compulsory, raise your hand. Compulsory means you will. You have to. You have no choice. Volunteer means you, get a, you have a choice. You can or you can't. There's no choice. So the officers of the king begin going out, collecting fair young virgins. And if I figure it out, if I have my own suspicions... I imagine that it was compulsory, and I imagine that it was actually kept quiet until it started to happen because they didn't want people running away or hiding or fleeing. But we don't know. But let me ask you a question. I know some of you dads out there. You're shaking in your boots. Imagine it if you were Mordecai. I think there'd be a lot of dead dads if this happened around here because the dads would say, not fast my dead body. And then they'd probably kill the dads. But I have another question. What would be the last words, advice you would give to your daughter if she was being drug out over your almost dead body? What words of advice would you give Mordecai gave some advice. We don't have time to talk about it this morning, but so we won't go to that. But I'll ask you, how do you prepare your little ones this age to engage their world? To engage the world. Will they be prepared? Can I tell you? Ground them in the Word of God. Teach them it, and not just the knowledge of it, but the wisdom of it. Ground them in it. Teach them to obey it, that they can stand strong. Teach them to be like Daniel. Remember him? Daniel, when he was carried away captive, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. That was just with things that he ate. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Do we teach our children to purpose in their hearts to please God, to serve God, to obey God? We don't know what will come in the next generation. There's things that are kind of scary. I'm going to warn you, don't be fretful about it. Hope in God and train up your children to trust in God, to hope in God, to know God, to obey God. Teach them to actually read Jeremiah chapter 50, 51, 52. Those chapters, and look for the little instructions and the little admonishings of the Lord. Not just the famous John 3, but all of the scriptures to know God, to know his will. So much can be learned from Esther. Perhaps this very book will become precious in our generation to come as things may get rather ugly in the world around us. And the courage we see of Esther may help us all. 
will we hope and rest and trust in God? And so those soldiers go forth, collecting all the fair young virgins. Scary. What's going to happen to Hadassah? Is she going to get caught? I got, maybe this is the time to sneak out at night and go back to Jerusalem. What are they going to do? How come all of you are just looking at me? Like you know what's going to happen. You, this is really awful. What's going to happen? How is God going to work through all of this? And oh, just as one final lesson, please don't, nothing against you, Ethan, don't be like a Hasuerus. See, good consul. And if you've got bad consul, get rid of it. Get rid of it. See, good consul. That's what a Hasuerus needed. Seek good consul. Seek to please God, not yourself. Heavenly Father, we pray to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed so many things for us to learn from, just as you did for Esther and Mordecai, just as you have done throughout history. Your word has provided direction. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we obey you and walk one step at a time in your spirit, filled with your spirit, walking in your spirit, that you might be glorified in our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen.